Uh, one announcement that I forgot to make earlier was that uh, the youth uh, from the church, uh, we'll say sixth through uh, whoever, uh, wants to, sixth grade, not six, sixth grade on, um, through, through high school, and if you just want to go, you can. Uh, they are going to a youth series in Texarkana tonight. Uh, they'll leave here. We'll try to, try to leave close to five, maybe a little after. Um, so, so be here if you want to go to that. It'll, it'll be a blast. Half the fun is traveling over there and traveling back. Um, getting to know the people in our church, getting to know the people um, in the youth group. Uh, and then you get to meet some other kids over there, and uh, you, you'll have a blast. So if you've never been on one of those as a teenager, um, it, it's fun. You, you'd enjoy it. Um, so please be a part of that. Uh, I, I kind of run into some things every once in a while where I, I think the world's a broken place. And then I have a thought that I think, well, maybe I'm just more broken than everybody else. And I get nervous assuming that all of you wrestle with the same thing I wrestle with. But so far, that has been a good assumption to make. Most of the time, I, the things I wrestle with are the things that you might um, wrestle with, too, and that you might connect with it. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that sometimes I'm a bad husband. Uh, I don't know if you're that sometimes, you husbands. No, never? Okay, maybe I'm alone. Sometimes, maybe you're a bad wife. And I think one of the times, sometimes, not all the time, just sometimes, and here's the times I'm talking about. Um, sometimes I make assumptions about Rachel that aren't fair. Now let me explain. Uh, and this is really early on in our marriage, um, I, would, I, would, I would think, well, I can't tell her that. I, she'll react this way. Now, she may react that way, but I have, I've acted in poor judgment by not letting her, giving her the freedom to actually react that way. Thank you. One, two, three, four. All right. I will do this nonchalantly. Y'all didn't know there was going to be French in the sermon, did you? I'll do this nonchalantly while I... I, You know what? I can't do two things at once. Pardon me. Okay. Raymond, don't put those in the bucket. Later. It's loud. Yeah, mute this one. Oh, we're rolling. Um, okay, so there is a... Um, so sometimes I have this problem where I, I will make an assumption about Rachel and I'll think, well, she'll react this way or of course she would do this. And then like that, that, that hurts our relationship because I assume something about her that's not true or I assume something about her that I haven't even given her the chance to prove is right or wrong. Does that make sense? And so we, we distance our relationships with other people by our assumptions about those other people, and, and those aren't even healthy. They, they, they don't do any good for the marriage. They don't do any good for the relationships. We, we, 
We need to stop assuming negative things. Now, I'm not sure exactly why we do this. Uh, I, I would assume that it, it's, it's my, my need to feel superior to other people that I'm going to assume they have negative traits. But when we make those assumptions about our spouse, you can feel the tension building when there's nothing even there going on. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just extra broken. But I think we do this with God regardless if we do it with our spouse. I think it's unfair to our spouse and it's really unfair to God. Because the way we act sometimes is that one day I can be connected to God and another day I can be disconnected from God and then today today I'm more connected to God, I'm more in God's presence and today, and, and the next day I'm, I'm out, I mean I'm out. I've made a mistake, I'm out. And, and, and it's almost as if we think God is keeping a tally on whether we're in His good graces, literally, or outside of His good graces. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that, I think that's a pretty bad assumption about God. And that that sort of assumption will injure and hurt our relationship with God. What you think about God matters. It matters. Now, let me, let me clarify. It doesn't matter to, to who God is. God will be who God is regardless of what you think of God. You just will. You're not changing God by your feelings or your assumptions about God. God is, as when, when Abraham says, what's your name? And God says, I am that which I am. The coolest, it's the coolest Hebrew phrase. If you want to know one Hebrew phrase, haya, hashan, haya. That's, that's cool. You get to say haya twice. There, so there's this, there, there, but, but God is who he is. So what we think about God doesn't impact who God is, but what we think about God matters to our relationship with God. If we think God is this sort of God that, that one mistake he pushes us away and disconnects from us, and then another mistake he pulls us, or another, like we, we come forward or whatever, and he pulls us in, and we say, well, I've, I've asked, I, I sinned, and then I asked forgiveness, and then I sinned, and then I asked forgiveness, and then I sinned. Now, this is not to say that that's not possible, that you can't just walk away. Like some, there are times people just walk away from God. They just walk away. And we choose to be disconnected from God. But God's not the one with the stick, the, the cane, pushing us out and then hooking us back in just based on what we have done that day. I think this, this idea is the main source for tension and, and stress and anxiety in the Christian's life. And you might not know it. But we, we, we have guilt about our sins and then we, we, we let that slowly morph into shame. Our God is a God who promotes and can use guilt. But does not promote and use shame. 
We'll let our guilt shame us and we'll make an assumption about God that's not true, that he has somehow now pushed us out of his presence just because we're not good enough. If you were good enough for God's presence, Jesus would not have had to die on a cross. Let's just start with the assumption that, yes, you are not good enough for God's presence. But because Jesus was good enough and Jesus sacrificed himself and conquered death, we are now called something that we aren't. We, are not er- we have not earned this thing. We have not earned our entrance into God. And I would argue that you often don't earn your exit. Times you should be kicked out of God's presence. Times you should be pushed out of God's presence. He doesn't do it. But we think our life is just this in and out process, this slalom between the, on the right side of God and out of the, uh, on the bad side of God. God, we're in His good graces and, in his ba- and out of His good graces on a regular basis. I would argue that the healthy Christian life is one lived under the assumption that you are going to have to fight God tooth and nail to get away from his presence. It can be done, but you are going to have to fight hard. I believe God's grace is strong and effective, and it can overcome so much. So much. You you will mess up today, probably. Um, I once had a professor say uh, that he, he always thought it was funny when people would get up and they would say, God, we, are, we sin horrifically every day. And he would say, what are you doing every Stop doing that every day. But in and out, we, we are broken. We, are, we, we, will, we will have odd attitudes. The more you self-evaluate, the more you realize I'm, <laughs> I'm in and out of who God wants me to be consistently. But let's not confuse that with the fact, let's not confuse that and assume that we're in and out of God's presence consistently. There's a story in Deuteronomy, no numbers, numbers chapter 20. Okay, a couple things about for you life group leaders. I misspelled numbers on the life group sheet. Um, I, yeah, yeah, okay. I left the B out, so just I spelt it. It's not numers. It's numbers. Don't keep looking for numers. That's not a. And also, I didn't change the quote. I usually put a bo- quote at the bottom. Didn't change that from last. Week. It's been a long week. Leave me alone. No, I, I just messed up. Y'all can make fun of me if y'all want to. I really, like, I really need that. I need, I need y'all to harass me about that sort of stuff. Uh, but anyway, there's, there's a, sc- a story in Numbers, Numbers chapter 20, where the people of Israel are um, wandering in the desert. And it's almost toward the end of their wandering. They have actually, they, they've, been, they've come to a place that they've been before and they've camped, they're camping in that place. And it says in um, Numbers chapter 20, 20 verse 1, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, which 
sounds lovely. And they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Okay, so the, the setup is just this sort of geographical setting. They've been to this place before. That means they've made this big circle in the desert and they've come back to a place and we, here we are again. But at that place, Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, died and they had a funeral for her and buried her. But it's also at that place that this happened. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. They've been in the, they've been in the desert for 40 years almost now and most of the people who existed uh, when they started wandering don't exist anymore. They're, they're dead. And they said, oh, if only we... We died earlier because we're so thirsty. There's no water here. If only we had died. Verse 4 says, Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness? They're talking to Moses. That we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs or grapevines or pomegranates. All right. Okay. First off, water. I get that. Now you're just getting greedy. But they, all throughout Numbers, every time that they've come and complained to God, or to Moses, Moses then went to God and said, the people are complaining, and God, uh, what's the word, smote them. Holy backhand. And it's, it, it, there was times they were saying, we're tired of manna. We want quail, and said, God, here's quail. Oh, there's a plague with it. There was times people tried to, to rise up and say, you know what, we think we need to be in charge. And God said, okay, well, here's a hole for you to fall into. Like, there was some serious, like, every time they came up and they said, we have a, we have a complaint. God, it was met with some, uh, some punishment. So Moses has actually gotten into this habit of the people coming to him and him going to God. And then God's saying, well, here's their punishment. So the relationship between Moses and the people is quite contentious. So that's one factor. Second factor, his sister has just died. That's a real pain. That's a, that's a real trial. That's a real suffering. And so there's some, there's some things. When, when, we are, when we are sad... Um, we often don't make the greatest of decisions at times. A lot of times they say, well, when you're grieving, don't make a big decision. Just wait out the grief process and then try to make a decision afterward. Actually, you're not supposed to make any decision. Uh, when you're sad, when you're hungry, when you're um, angry, when you're lonely or you're tired, don't do anything. Fix that, get rest. Find people to be around, calm down, eat some food, then make a decision. They call that the halt thing. Uh, that was for free. You got that one for free. A little bit of information. So there, but he is, he is upset. He is thirsty too. He doesn't have a jug that he's keeping to himself. 
He doesn't have any pomegranates. He's in the exact same situation they are. But they come to him and they say, this is so awful. So he goes to God. He goes to God and he says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the, to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gathered the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now, you may remember this story from from Sunday school. So you know what happens next. So Moses took the staff in the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together just as he had commanded them again in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Okay, harsh tone, Moses. Now, I want you to see two things. That this is probably not necessarily the tone with which God was hoping Moses would speak to the, the people. You rebels was not in any of the commands. But I also want you to see that Moses isn't just making a bad decision just for the sake of it. That there are factors here. That there's grief, that there's hunger, that there's thirst, probably exhausted. He's not making a good decision. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Now, did you catch that? We'll get back to that. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Um, Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. Okay, a couple things happened here that I think are worth noting. He, he has an angry tone. We've already talked about that. He says, we. Must we bring water out of this rock? Never speaks to the rock like God says. Never does. Just, again, haya haya, smacks the rock with a stick. That'll do. Have you ever watched, gone to a, a show with a really big a really big magic show. No one's interested in that but me. It's fine. So what what happens at a magic show is hilarious. Um, so so a woman is they, they get a woman up on stage and they're gonna make her fly. She's gonna she's gonna levitate. To do that, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the background. People are running around like crazy, pulling levers, and there's a, there's a hydraulic lift behind a curtain, and they're making sure that's greased up and ready to go. They have a trap door that they're waiting for her to exit later so that, so that a tiger can come on stage and almost kill one of the magicians. And then there's, there's all sorts of stuff happening in the background that the magician, while he might have organized it, is doing none of it. All the magician is doing is... That's it! 
Everyone else is running around like crazy getting this effect to happen and he's standing there getting all the glory in his shiny pants. That's it. He's doing nothing but the show, the showmanship makes him capable of getting the credit for what woman will fly and no one ever says, wow, the staff in the background really did something amazing. We always... He's, a ma- he's magic. He did, so- he did something. Which is crazy. Because we, we all know deep down what's happening back there. If I just ruined your life and your, your, your childhood joy, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Thought the man was magic. <laughs> but <laughs> there, there, there's a... Like, there's, oh, I'm such an idiot. There, there's a lot going on. Now, the showmanship, I think this is one of the problems. That Moses, now, there are, there's, a big, there's a big debate among scholars about what exactly, and it'll never end because there's no great answer, but what exactly Moses did that was the most wrong here. But he says, you rebels comes in a contentious tone. He smacks the rock and instead of speaks to it. I don't know. I, I get that because if God just said speak to the rock to me, I'm going to be honest, I don't know what I would say. Like I don't know what the, ne- what the words would be. Like God just says speak to that rock. My next question is speak what to the rock? Because I'm... Hey, rock, you know, and then water. I don't know how it works. So he, he's done this before. Smacked the rock, smacked it twice. Water comes out. Water comes out. Moses did it wrong. And water came out. Moses got the order messed up. Moses had the wrong tone. Moses didn't do what God commanded. Water still came out. God comes to Moses in verse 12 and says, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring the community into the land I give them. But water came out. We also know at the end of Deuteronomy, God takes Moses up onto a mountain. And he sets him up on the mountain and shows him the land and said, there's this moment of, we did it. Now you're not getting to enter in. But we did it. This is the land that, you're, that they are going to inherit going to happen. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, alluded to this story in the last speech he gave before he died. It was a night or two before he was assassinated. He stood in front of people and he says, I'm probably not going to get there with you. I feel like my time is short here. But I've been to the mountaintop. And I've seen the promised land. 
there was a hope in Martin Luther King Jr.'s voice about racial reconciliation that he had been fighting for. Actually, it was Martin Luther King Jr. not fighting for for his whole adult life. And he had hope for it. And he'd seen it, and he said, I'm not going to be there, but I've seen it. And that, that sort of hope that Moses felt in the presence of God leading him up a mountain and showing him the promised land and saying, this, we did it. Now, consequences be what they are. But we did it. I think, I think this is our, our big, um, one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians. We confuse our consequences with our forgiveness. We think just because the consequences still exist, that somehow God hasn't forgiven us. You are going to make bad decisions. You're going to make sinful decisions. And there will be consequences. But just because there's consequences doesn't mean God's not still connected with you. In God's presence are a lot of people who have messed up today. And you might be one of them. But that doesn't mean you're not still in his presence. It does not mean you're, still in, you're not still in God's presence. It doesn't mean you're disconnected from God. Sometimes my kids will mess up. Sometimes, not often. Sometimes they mess up. And we found that um, for our kids, there's not a really universal way to parent, so don't take what I'm saying as advice. We found that with our kids um, taking away something they love um, really is effective to get them to remember they don't need to do that thing again. Um, so I'll say, you know, Clara, you can't see your mother for the rest of the week. <laughs> That's not what we do. But I'll say, you know, for, like for them, um, they're addicted to TV. So we say, well, no, sh- no show. You, can't have a, you were going to get to watch a show, but now you don't get to watch a show. And that really affects them. And they'll come to us and they'll say, uh, so I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. It's okay, we love you. We really do, we love you. And you're just learning, it's okay, you're just learning. It doesn't make you bad, you're just figuring it out. But we, we can't let them watch that show. We can't. Why? why I, I'll hear, you hear parents sometimes say things like, you don't quit that, I'm going to throw you through the roof. Don't ever make threats you can't fulfill. Kid's going to call your bluff. Okay, Dad, throw me through the roof. But there, there are, there, we can't let up on the consequences just because you're forgiven. You can't do that. So what we want our kids to know is that, we, that the consequences of their actions do not affect the love of their father and their mother. 
Those two are not linked together. Um, and that's the way I think God operates. At least that's what the way he operates. He, that's the way he operated here. That's the way he operates with, uh, with David. When David and Bathsheba um, have their thing and, you know, one thing leads to another and David kills a guy. And Nathan comes to David and says, says oh, you're the guy I'm talking about. Tells him the story about, a, about this awful human being. He says, that guy needs to die. And Nathan says, you're the guy. And David says, oh, I've sinned. And Nathan says, oh, no, your sins are forgiven. Like almost haphazardly. Your sins are forgiven. But there are consequences. We need to get to the point where we understand that the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our sins do not kick us out of the presence of God. That the consequences of our actions and the consequences of our sins do not negate the forgiveness of God. And I say this not, I say this not to, to, to say, you, you guys are, should feel warm and fuzzy all the time because you're in God's presence. What I'm saying this for is what you think about God matters. Whether or not you feel connected to God, you feel in His presence, matters about how you're going to live today. And this back and forth, in and out of God's presence that we often do with our, with our assumptions about God can ruin our relationship with God. And get us to the point where we say, well, you know what, I'm just out. I can't do it. Which may be true. You might not ever live up to your ideal thought of who you should be, but you are still loved and valued and honored and sacrificed for and resurrected for. You are still forgiven. You are still glorified. You are still... God is working in your really broken life. He is... We can be confident of that. As we are confident about that, our relationship with God will strengthen because we are not assuming things about God that are not true. Just letting God love you like God claims to love you. You may be in right now. You may, be, you may feel like you're in God's presence, but you recognize this is how I live my life. I'm in, I'm out. I'm in, I'm out. I feel connected and disconnected, connected and disconnected. That's something you need to repent of. That's something you need to turn from because it legitimately affects your life. Stop making assumptions about God that aren't true about God. The consequences of your sin do not affect your forgiveness. They do not forget, they do not affect the grace God has shown you, and they do not affect your relationship, your connectivity with God. I think that makes today 
whether or not you've been in and out, in and out, I think that makes today, maybe you need to repent, but it makes today a joyful occasion. Right? I mean, you're, like, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to, I don't have to play this role. I don't have to play this in and out. I just get to be loved and connected to God in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the King. If you want to stop playing that game, Stop being disconnected, connected, disconnected, making assumptions about God that just aren't true. Let him take you to a place. Let God take you to a place and show you that he's already prepared a land for you. And even though you're a sinner, you will get to see it. You can rejoice. You can rejoice in the grace and love of God. I think that's good news worth responding to. And if you want to be united with this God in the name of Jesus through baptism, if you want to change your life and repent from this, these odd assumptions we make about God, if you want to repent from making odd assumptions about your spouse, we'll do that today too. important to celebrate our new understanding of God. It's important to celebrate his love for us. So whatever you need from us this morning, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.